Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. All right, here we go. I hit the button. I'm excited. This thing has started. The train has left the station. I'm in the roller coaster and it's going tit, 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 all up the hill. We are about to explode down this mountain. I can't wait to introduce my guest today. She is an absolute badass. She is a marketing leader and a thought leader in the space. In the world of SaaS, she's got concentration and experience coming out her ears in strategy, pipeline, product, vice president of marketing at User Gems, Trinity Nguyen. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Casey. Happy to be here. Oh, man. I'm so glad you're here. There's so many things to talk about. And so let me pass you this thing. It's really heavy, but uh, okay. Thor's hammer. All grab right. that. Got it. Oh, whoa. You just took it. Are you playing tennis? Like, will you just grab Thor's hammer like it was nothing? And this is the real Thor's hammer, too. Trinity, take that hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. You got it. So here's the myth, and I'm not going to have a lot of fans and friends after this, but attribution doesn't work. It's very, very rare that there's a one single touch point that give you that deal. So not the first touch, not the last touch. Some kind of multi-touch is a little bit better, but it's not completely the truth. And for multi-touch attribution, you also need to have the right tools and ops set up in place to accurately capture all these touches throughout a deal cycle. And even then, no tools today, probably in the future, can capture the dark social or the word of mouth. Someone hanging out with their friends uh, while taking out the trash, uh, the neighbors, and recommend a tool. None of, no tools can capture it. So attribution doesn't work. And people need to hear this, especially CFO and CEO as well. Because I think marketers kind of like get on this bandwagon now. But until the rest of the leadership team gets on board, it's going to be very, very difficult. Right, that new technology comes around and people, and especially when the tech promises to solve the attribution problem, and then everyone gets sort of the word of mouth that, oh yeah, this it's solved, right? Yeah, you just got to buy that app and then you're, you're going to know everything about how you found your customer, including your example of the trash or one time I bought an energy drink because I saw a cool guy on YouTube do it. I didn't use his link though, right? I just bought it in a convenience store. How the hell are you going to track that? And I know that's a you know, direct to consumer B2C type example, but these are the, the kind of situations that happen. And yet there's this expectation, where does this come from? Why, why are people just magically assuming that, that this thing works and that it's real? Well, I think it comes from necessity. So I don't know if any board or CFO or CEO actually believe or care so much about attribution, but it comes from necessity. Like as marketing and revenue leaders, our job is to allocate capital. So in order to allocate it well, you need to know which channel performs better, how to optimize it. And if it doesn't perform or not efficient, then you need to reallocate. So it comes from that necessity to just to measure every single channel. And that's where it came from. Um, and we try, I mean, like some people started out like when maybe eons ago where when like the sales cycle was short, maybe a first touch, last touch makes sense because it was very short, one week. Um, but then now, like in B2B, most, especially this year, the sales cycle is getting a lot longer. I think I read somewhere it's 24% longer now. 
um, there are a lot more people involved in the in the sales process. So the buying group went from around, I think, like it used to be like seven to nine, and now I see it's like nine to twelve, even in the mid market. So it's not just one person that you're tracking and nurturing, right? So attribution is hard to, with just one single buyer, but now you have a whole entire buying group that being influenced any given point in time. How do you capture that? So from like first principle thinking, and just think of us when we buy a tool. Can we map out all of our journey? Um, and we know it's not linear. It's not easy to attribute because of this one thing that I bought the product. So from that angle, I, I know the attribution doesn't work. But the challenge is, how do you measure? Right. I, by the way, I, anytime someone says, let's go back to first principle thinking, I'm like, okay, we got to be best friends. This is exactly the way that we got to think because when things get too complicated, the solution is not to make things more complicated, right? Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. complicated. Let's add another tech stack into, you know, let's add another thing into our stack. No, we got to go the other direction. So this is interesting. I love the approach here. You're saying, look, it comes from necessity. When you have capital and marketing is an investment, we're investing capital in different places. You want to know what works, but then you want to measure every channel. But then how, how do you rationalize then, that, you know, the idea of the dark social, the word of mouth, knowing that these things happen, how much, how much credit can you give your metrics? Mm -hmm. No, it's really challenging. And I'm not saying that I've solved it. I think we're still trying to figure out like every month, trying to figure out how to build a reporting and attribution uh, model that works for our business, right. based on how we set up our go to market, based on how we know our buyers buy. Um, but I'm not saying it's one size fit all. To be honest, I'm still working through it and still iterating and see what makes sense. Right. And as long as the business agrees that this makes sense because we know it's true, um, based on what our buyers told us, that I think it's okay for us right now. But having said that, it's, it's just painful. <laughs> totally. And you know, as you said that, you know, I love the the humility of saying, you know, I'm still wrestling with this topic. Right. I think anyone that says that it's like solved completely is is either you know full of it or it's clickbait which and i thought you know maybe we should name this episode like attribution solve right and then <laughs> and then you know we'll have you and i high-fiving on the, the album artwork being like of course but people get to this part of the episode and they go oh, okay okay you got me oh god but we're working on it and you're really helping me making friends here yeah totally totally you start getting all these emails like oh I, we need you to come help us uh solve this issue and you're like did you listen to the whole episode or just the first five minutes um so but when you're trying to wrestle with this attribution, I heard you even mention what makes sense and what the buyers told us. Could you start talking about the different ways that even though maybe the 100% isn't solved, do you start making things a little more accurate? Yeah. I mean, let's start from the most accurate one is a self-reported attribution, so to speak. Um, so head of demand um, just added this form. Like, I'm a very anti-long form person Same. Uh, but but I I gotta give him like, it was his idea and his credit uh, so he just added a, a field like free text and it's an optional you don't need to put it in there and they say like how where did you hear about user gems and in my mind I'm like who would back in the day I'm like who would fill this out like form so long uh, now form is really really short it's like one field or like three fields that's it yeah and yet people actually fill it out I actually really enjoy reading this note at the end of the quarter, just kind of recapping where our pipeline came from because we sell to sales and marketers. 
so they understand that especially marketers understand the challenge so they would fill it out like i heard from the, from my friend from this said about this and then i google search here's the keywords i use all they, of that they gave it's, you the whole fingerprint like this and yeah, this yeah the and this. whole thing like the whole map like it's incredible so maybe give your buyer some credit like sometimes people do want to tell you yeah because i think yeah i think the I guess the fallacy here, the, you know, you're smashing myths left and right with that hammer. Like people need to watch out because you, you, you just stay away from the structure, you know, like don't smash the yeah. wall. Uh, this people tend to think that if you give people free text, they're going to give you unorganized data. And maybe that's the yeah. case, but it sounds yeah. like, you know, talk about a gem, you know, user yeah. gem. Hey, you know, but talk about an amazing, <laughs> like, golden nugget of someone writing that out and that's completely counterintuitive you think they just leave it blank or i think the the other myth was that people will lie on that you know they'll or they don't know any better right they'll say yeah. oh so I, I don't even know my own location i'm am i in atlanta or am i they don't but right. no you've got some great future you know, prospects that are are telling you the deep Tell me more yeah. about those those answers you've seen. What kind of other answers? Do you remember any other ones? That's that's uh, a lot of like a lot of like I heard about you or like my friend re recommended or my peer or my former coworker. So a lot of those like word of mouth. Yeah, um, but you get the specifics thing. too, right? Not just like oh word of mouth. Like who? Maybe that's because no, like, people don't know to select from that. a friend who was a comp at this company. Yeah. Sometimes they don't get the name of that person wow. just to like protect the privacy, but they get right. really specific. Wow. Um, the story about like taking out the trash with the neighbors taking out the trash and talk about work. It's true. Actually. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Like they just in the neighborhood and taking out the trash and she's a marketing leader. He's a sales leader. And somehow they talk about work. I'm like, man, I need to, I need to send her around more. <laughs> wow. I, yeah. So a lot of these things that you just, how can you capture any of this stuff? Yeah. And even if the, the prospects don't know, don't remember the entire journey when they first heard about user gems, but in their mind, this was the deciding factor. Wouldn't that carry more weights than whatever we capture? Like maybe they watched a webinar two years ago. Yeah, and even, mm -hmm. I mean, if, if that's what they're telling you, and especially if that's like the first touch point, because I think mm -hmm. to your earlier point, the first touch and the last touch is, Sometimes first you can check a little bit better, but to your point, first touch was at the garbage can. Then they signed up for a, maybe they Googled it later, signed up for a webinar, mm -hmm. and Google got credit for organic, but that wasn't that wasn't that at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then last touch, I've seen so many things happen where you know they went to a conference and met a great person, had a fun, fantastic conversation, basically all but closed the deal, got a thank you on Monday. And then, and then sign the deal. And the marketing's like, look, we sent this email out and it converted all these people. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, they all met someone at this conference. Right. Which, so there's all these stories and, yeah. and you've allowed people to tell you what the actual story is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's informing to see all these touch points. I'm not saying don't capture the touch points. So like for me, like the one of the ways that I'm trying to like attribute out is just looking at all the close one uh, that we got in the past quarter and kind of went through all of the touch points that we captured in Salesforce, HubSpot, for all the contacts in the opportunities that we ever talked to. Basically, just do it very manual. Like, it's nothing fancy, just Google Sheet and just export all that out and read like a journal. Right. <laughs> and then start attributing it, kind of like, okay, so at some point, this webinar influenced this. 
at some point. I'm not saying that it generated the pipeline or the one and things like that. And we give, like, for example, if an, an account-based program was the one that got them in, then both the ADR team, so our sales dev team, and the campaign team got one point in terms of credit because they did it together. Um, right. So it's not perfect. It's just trying to figure out what works best for your business. And I think that's a slippery slope, the idea of giving mm. credit and points and yeah. and then how many points for this. I, you know, I once, when I was mm. a little Casey, I sat in a big conference room uh, full of lots of important people. And I was probably the most expendable bottom of the food chain. And I was just sort of like in this room watching the head of sales, the head of marketing and the CEO and a, a million other people all debating for like two hours how much score points and attribution points to give certain mm -hmm. things uh mm -hmm. and they were going and i just i couldn't follow like what why does this matter and so i i can see people obsessing over that because maybe that's a detail mm. they can get around yeah no for sure like the moment you're assigning points you're kind of like going down that path of like hey right. it's mine and not yours right so what i'm trying to figure out and trying to do it in a very small scale because we're still a small company relatively speaking to a lot of companies out there um if so a lot of cases where it's one deal and two teams get the credit for it this evenly so it's not so it's not like campaign say like no that came from event and then sales dev say like no we actually prospected first if they came in because we measure at account not the contact mm. so even if sales dev reached out to one contact at that account but then later on somebody else in that account within you know three months or whatever create an opportunity and both teams get the same points and the reason for the points is actually not for each of the team leads to kind of fight over um, but it's more for me to measure am I being efficient with the money I spend so I'm trying to like I said I haven't figured it out but I'm trying to kind of shield it from getting into like making it a, becomes like the crux of the politics Right. Um, but it's more just like measuring like how well do I spend the money and where else should I put more money in? Do do you look more then at the local effects that you're able to drive with the money if it if it's harder to know if it actually was the driving force or is it an, enough to know that you spent you know 5 grand here and you created some first touch points. Maybe they weren't completely the first touch point but you created some kind of activity. Mm. Is it like that kind of approach or how, how do you zero in on your, your efficiency? Yeah. So it's not last first touch, last touch, anything like that. Okay. Like say I look like, say, let me pick a company like Spotify. Yeah. Uh, became a customer. Nice. And I look back the entire journey, just example. <laughs> I wish, but Hey, if Spotify, if you're listening, shout out to Spotify, <laughs> shout out to Spotify. Um, no, but if they became a customer, then I would look back into like all the contacts in our, op in that opportunity and trace back through like Salesforce and HubSpot. So we try to capture and see, oh, was it at some point did they come in through um, like a LinkedIn post? So we UTM a lot, just to kind of like trace back and where they came from. And that supplements with any self-reported um, attribution by anyone in that opportunity. And then just like basically, if it's touched by like every single team from SDR to campaign to sales, then content, SEO, all that, they all get a point for it. So I'm basically double, triple, quadruple counting it. Got it. But then because, yeah, but then to me, that helps assisting this deal forward at some point.
Right. So if they, if they all contributed, we're a team here. If you contributed mm-hmm. to the effort, we're not going to say yes. how much you contributed, we're, but we're going to say exactly. you were a part of it. Right. So you have unlimited points to give if they participate. Yes. And I suppose you would only just have to make sure people aren't just like, you know, that partner in a project that just sort of shows up. Mm-hmm. You get a point or do you like they you're a part of it well we we do have like a couple of like the setup in our system to kind of like look back a couple pages that they were on before they came to our site so that gives us a little bit of visibility and then people like i mentioned they write in that free text field yeah. and they kind of tell you the journey so that helps a lot um, we know all the activities that happen at the account with everyone that we reach out to so that basically a lot of triangulation um, it. It's very rare that someone that don't participate in somehow get a credit. Got if it. anything, it's more of like the scenario. Um, they see our content on LinkedIn. Maybe our customer shout us out or something. But then instead of um, Google search for user gems or clicking through any of the link from LinkedIn over, they just open a new tab and type directly usergems.com. So you have a lot of direct traffic. <laughs> Same thing, when yeah. sales reach out to them, like sales dev reach out to them in the email, we know they open the email because we can see that they, they open the email. But then instead of replying to the rep, they open a tab, type in directly usergems.com, go through a website, then submit a demo request. <laughs> I know it firsthand because I was that rep <laughs> at usergems. So I'm like, hey, I, I can see that you opened my email right now. Why don't you just reply to me? So that's when, like, this is three years ago. That's when I know that any kind of attribution doesn't work. People just, they just work however they want to work. Right. They're running all over the place, clicking where they want to click. and Exactly. Oh, man, it, it's tough when, when they're saying, oh, well, marketing drove that thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I do like your model of getting, getting a point. Um, quick question. When you, I, I love this, you know, the write-in field. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from this episode. Uh and just hearing specifically the value you've gotten from it, do you ever go back and change other fields based on what they wrote in? Like if they told you it was X, Y, and Z source, do you ever go back and change the, the tag source or does that get into like a murky mm-hmm. area? Yeah, I think I'm still like the anti-long form person. <laughs> so I don't think we're gonna add more field even though I think I kind of put our ops team in a really tough situation by not having too many fields. But, but no, like the automated ones, you know, like, you know, you automatically dec- discover the source yeah. or UTM oh, says yeah. that it was Google, but you know, you know, in your big bucket source report, you know that it actually is this. Yeah. Do you change it or how do you, or is it just, you just use it as like information to go off mm. of, but you don't actually make it reportable? Um, we don't make it reportable. Okay. We keep it free tax. I think free tax, it's kind of like when you don't require people to do something, they're not going to lie. They're not going to give you a phone number of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, but they actually write it. Okay. So you don't require Um, it. Got it. So I don't require it. Interesting. You don't require it and it doesn't, have you ever been tempted though to like write some sort of like function that, that you, because I think this is the bigger question of. I love the manual research that you've talked about going in and looking at all the closed one and looking at their journey. They're fascinating mm-hmm. stories for sure, especially if you mm-hmm. have the details. 
But then you have the other side, which is, well, that's not scalable, Trinity. You know, like, don't we want to become a, a you know, unicorn here? Like, oh, let's. So how do you balance the scalable versus the manual yeah. side? Yeah. So there are two things, right? There's the, um, there's a lot of, from the, the contact data, who is this person? There's a lot of tools out there that can help you identify their title if they just give you an email address. You can find out the company, you can find, like there's so many tools to find oh. you the titles. And then either some tools can automatically categorize them into seniority and department. So these things can be done. Like it's on us as a vendor to do that legwork, find a tool to do it. And in our sales force right now, everyone is grouped into seniority and persona. And we don't have to do anything. Um, and neither does the, the buyer. So that's from the contact data standpoint. On the other hand, and the free text, kind of like people just telling you things, when it's scale, like I can't wait to try this, and I'm sure I've seen it, it's gonna work. Export that field out, it's free text, and put it into OpenAI, ChatGPT, tell it to summarize it for you. Yes. It is so fast, and it's so straightforward. Just tell me, just give a really clear prompt, play around with it, like, can you summarize how often do people say this, da 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 da, and see what it gives you. That's brilliant, I love that, I love that. <laughs> Dang it, I just give away my secret sauce. <laughs> Seriously. You know, and, and speaking of secret sauce, I want to take us in a little bit of a direction because you mentioned persona. And I do recall seeing that you have named your personas after a, a favorite candy in the United States. Uh, something to do with the musketeers. Is that right? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Our target persona. Yeah. Uh, we call it the, the three musketeers <laughs> because for every like close one, we have we usually have these three persona involved not three people sometimes more but three personas so marketing sales and ops so those so are the three musketeers these are like the the category of the personas um, tell me more about like how do you approach mm -hmm. that how do you look at personas yeah so like so from observing that the sales cycle what we usually see is um, user gems value prop tend to resonate, like uh, resonate with um, sales the most because they understand this. They do it sometime ad hoc, so they are our champion. Um, but then usually they bring it to the marketing to be the buyer because it's about pipeline generation. And then ops are the one that gonna implement it and making sure everything works. So those are the three persona and how we how we implement it, like in our go to market is once we kind of knew that, then from the sales dev standpoint, when we reach out to any of our accounts, we make sure that we cover these three persona, five to seven people per account and make sure we touch all three. And then one, and usually just one of them will be the one that requesting a demo to learn a little bit more before they bring everyone in. But then when we pass the baton over to sales, then sales also very well trained about this concept of the three mus musketeers. So yeah. they will immediately multi-thread to the executives, but also to other departments or bring up to the champions like, hey, usually for the next stage, we have, um, we're going to cover about like technical deep dive. So what we see is companies typically bring in their Salesforce admins or rev ops, etc. So the, the team is very consciously aware that we need these three. So that's how, that's that, how we do it. Man, powerful. Uh, one of the things I pulled out of that is that they'll, they'll immediately multi-thread and, and work with the champion to let them know this is how it tends to go and you know who are the different people that we need to get this information for so that your champion work doesn't go 
unheeded. So you talk to them, right? Mm-hmm. You're empowering them with the information that they need to hear. Mm. Th- this is so good. My next question, who are you? Who are you? Like, take me back in time. Little Trinity, did you know you're going to be a marketing thought leader, podcaster, uh, you know, like strategist, product marketer, all these things? Um, as a kid, I always knew that I would be in business. And then by the time I was 14, I knew that I would be a marketer. Um, 14? But then I, and yeah, wow. it's weird. <laughs> yeah, no, like marketing is fascinating to me. I think it's a combination of running a business, generating business, pipeline, revenue, all that. But also there's a psycho- like human psychology. Like how do you convince someone to care about what you're solving for? So I think that's fascinating to me. So how, yeah. how did, tell me about 14 then. What, was there something that happened? What made you go, ah, marketing, got it. I don't know. Both of my parents are bis- like small business owners. So yeah. I think the idea of running a business is always like, I knew when I was a kid that I w- would be a businesswoman. Yeah. Um, I don't know how marketing get there. <laughs> Maybe watching too many ads. Probably. I don't know. Too much TV. So <laughs> you distinctly remember sometime around 14 is when it wasn't just business, but you started thinking, I need to get more mm. customers, either from my parents, you know, mm. companies and stores, or just yeah. the idea that you can have a business, but you got to bring people to it. Got to yeah. find customers. I think at 14, it's more like, okay, what is a professional path that I want to be on? And marketing, being a marketer, was pretty much like that's the idea. Um, when it, I think when it was six, I started selling snacks or something. To Hell yeah. <laughs> Home cooked snacks. Um, so you started out yeah. in sales, right? And then you were started like, in sales. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I want to feel this thing. So I mean, I guess your introduction should have been like, she started out in sales at the age of six and <laughs> <laughs> became a marketer yeah. at 14. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but um, so that's, I, I knew that. And then somehow like when I, um, when I was 18, I knew I wanted to go to um, Kellogg Business School because it was known for like all the brand managers. Like, I think it's called brand managers, like all the consumer product sure. companies. Um, so yeah, it's always been like over the past to become a marketer. Man, you know, it's funny because, mm-hmm. you know, some people I talked to didn't even learn what, like myself, did, did I even know what marketing was? That it was actually a job until, you know, I'm in my 20s, <laughs> right? Maybe I was yeah. doing it. I just didn't know that it had yeah. a title, but, but you you knew and that's 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 powerful well but i think i think i knew the desire to become the a desire marketer. i i didn't know what it was what it means right. um but just a desire to become that but then fun fact is like when i graduated from college instead of going straight to marketing and i had a marketing job offer i ended up going to like finance operations basically I'm like hey i'm gonna end up being a marketer anyway so why don't i explore other stuff around a business, how to run a business before I get there. So I actually took a long route, roundabout, until I ended up being a product marketing and now full marketer. Jeez. Uh, mm. And so now you're at User Gems. What are you doing there that you're excited about? What What is User Gems? And then what do people know? Like if they take away one thing from this episode, obviously do that form, think about credit, but like talk to us about User Gems. What should they recall and remember about it? Mm. So user gems is a software for sales and marketers. Um, and the main product is we track your key contacts when they change their jobs. So you can sell to them again at the next company. I love that. 
And then not just like single threading, right? Like when they land a new company, we also identify the rest of the buying group in that account so that your team can multi-thread and prospect better and also marketing to the entire buying group. And this is, this is one of those things back to the conversation about scalable versus manual that you can do manually at, for a couple people, but, but uh, leverage that for a whole company, you know, and maybe a good rep does it, but not all of them are doing it. And so it's hard mm-hmm. to be on the lookout for all these signals. LinkedIn doesn't always make it easy for you to see that either. So, mm-hmm. you know, manually sort of have something constantly looking your favorite customers and where they go. I mean, that, that sounds like magic. Mm-hmm. No, it's, a, it's definitely, I was uh, one of the original customers. So my previous company was the early customers of User Gems, and we saw it. We saw it before we bought the tool, and we saw that it became a 10%, like consistently pipeline. And reps, the, the, the key part for every marketer to hear, reps love this type of leads. Because the, pe- like the buyers already know about your product. Even if they close loss opportunity contact, they've already gone through the entire like, buyer journey until like, you know, the consideration. So it's so much easier for reps to work. So um, it helps aligning the team uh, when you do this kind of play. It sounds simple, but it's actually pretty complex to set it up. But once you have it, it's an always-on pipeline engine for you. I love that. Always-on pipeline engine. It reminds me when I was... Uh, you know, Casey marketer out there and moving to different companies. I was always a big fan of Pardot for marketing automation. And I was like, Mr. Pardot fan guy. Uh, and every time I, I was kind of a consultant too, I'd like a consultant mindset. So I'd get to a company, I'd, you know, fix whatever was broken, bring in Pardot. And then eventually, Hey, everything's fixed. Go to the next company. Right. And so I was, probably a, a great example of someone. And every time I went to a new company, I was like, okay, we need to bring in Pardot mm-hmm. to this thing. You know, what is this yeah. tool? Now nah, we're getting rid of that. Let's bring in Pardot, right? So I would mm-hmm. I would keep doing that. And so the, to the idea of leveraging little cases all over the place, you just love the product. And every time they move, mm-hmm. you're taking mm-hmm. good care of them. Ah, that makes so yeah. much sense. Yeah. I mean, like the, the story you said, I mean, it makes sense. Um, the power of like raving fans, right? Yeah. That's the Gong's term. Gong's one of our customers. Um, so that's how they describe Shout it. out to Udi. <laughs> Shout out to Udi the and magician. the whole entire team. <laughs> yes. But like the question that people we usually hear is like, well, if they are our raving fans, then they're going to come back anyway. But that's what people think. You don't know what you don't know. Um, so I can't share like a lot of data because it's proprietary. But um, I was a chorus power user, like Gong and Chorus, the competitor. Yeah. Uh, I love Chorus. I told everyone about Chorus. But then when I left a new company, they didn't have any tool. What happened? Someone's reaching out from Gong. I see their content. My mind changed. And I gave Gong a chance because they reached out as well. I've been a raving fan for the last three plus years. Never looked back. Oh, snap. So you don't, you don't know these scenarios. You don't know what you don't know. It's like a, a super dark, dark funnel. Yeah. So maybe course like, like checking. Yeah, yeah. Have they ever tried contacting you afterward being like, come back? And you're like, I got a, <laughs> I got a new BFF, gone. It's, it's hard. Like once a buyer, like kind of like the brand loyalty is with someone else, it's really hard. Like the buy, us as buyers, we, there's no gain for us to be loyal all the time, right? Like we always have FOMO, the, the shiny object syndrome. Oh, like that's a new tool. Why don't we give it a chance? And what if we like that sales rep? So there's all these things. So why would you leave your best fans up for competitors for grab so uh what we usually do when we talk to companies is like before you buy user gems 
let us run an audit on your CRM and tell you how many of these fans that you have that are already at new company but have not yet contacted you, have Ooh. not yet been added to 80 to 95%. Even some of the best brands out there, you would imagine. It's, I was shocked when I saw it. <laughs> Well, it's one of those things where the data is constantly degrading. I once did a webinar with like a, a data vendor and I, you know, as a marketer, I had always thought of my data as like gold under a dragon. So mm. you're hoarding gold. It's your treasure. You're sitting on it. You're like, look at me in my gold pile. Uh, and I had and worked at companies that had treasure accumulated since the 70s, right? <laughs> but what they don't realize is, is no, actually, it's constantly eroding and yeah. you really back to our original conversation about you need to invest that capital you need to invest in the capital mm -hmm. of your data before it mm -hmm. disappears on you it's constantly leaking out of the floor mm -hmm. so you want to mm -hmm. really utilize it to get more before the rest goes away uh, yeah, yeah it's, it was a big aha for me so you, so i got from you that loyalty is great if maybe you're a first mover and you're and you're following people but there is always an opening for someone else if you're not staying on top of it. Is that, is that mm -hmm. right? Okay. Yeah, 100%. Um, and then people like, how often do people stay in the job markets these days? Probably two, three is a stretch. So your data, like you said, your data, like it's gold now, but then it's gonna get deprecated. Right. So in a perfect world, I'd love to, and I hope that user gems can help us get there because I'm using it internally. Uh, like this is our play internally and our ADR team loves it. but. I love to I think about like our contact database is not like a database in the way that kind of Zoom Info set it up where it's a massive database with rows and columns, but it's a dynamic. So that like my data uh, for my sales team, my sales dev team and my marketing advertising is constantly refreshing yeah. in Salesforce at all times so that like we don't waste any dollars. The, the most terrible, like, scary thing right now for me is that if we're advertising to, to the wrong people or people who left the company and then started their new gig or something like not our ICP, right? Then I just wasted marketing. Yeah. Them, so. Yeah. Even worse when they sign up for a demo and they're, <laughs> they wasted your click and sales is time and BDR is time and, yeah. and everything. Uh, people, the wrong people yeah. will certainly do that. So yeah, yeah. really, wow, really powerful. So yeah. Uh, more of a final question for you. Uh, it's a bit of a hypothetical question because see, I may or may not have a time machine here in New Hampshire, right? It's a possibility. So let's say you come visit next conference you're at, you know, come to Boston, come visit. I'm just north of there. Time machines in the backyard covered in a tarp. So we get some lobsters, some beer, and then we go in this time machine, but it's a special kind of time machine that where you get to visit yourself. And you get to see and visit and talk to yourself uh, just after graduating with that undergrad, right? So not even not even Kellogg yet, but undergrad degree, and you just graduated, you know, like four days ago. You get to meet yourself. You get to meet that Trinity. What kind of things do you say to her? What kind of things do you tell yourself? What things would you give yourself hints about? So. If I could, I would even go back further to when I was a lot younger because there's something that um, I want to get to the little trinity as early as possible so that it's ingrained in her mind and how she operates. Um, so in my mind, life is kind of like a ladder. So you keep climbing up. And when you climb a ladder, you always look up, right? You usually don't look down. Yeah. That's not safe. 
So because of it, it kind of like creates this imposter syndrome because there's always successful people. There's a lot of marketing CMOs out there and CROs out there that I really look up to, CEOs too. So if I think of life like a ladder, then I always look up to them and therefore I think of myself as small because you always look up. But then you forget about like how far you've come and have confidence in your ability. So I would go back to the little Trinity and say that life is actually not a ladder, it's flat and it's just full of people running their own path and every now and then you cross paths with someone and it's great and you have a good experience and then you move on and they have their own path to tread. So that image is something that I really wish I could instill in Little Trinity, maybe when she was five or something. Wow. No more ladders. No more ladders. Burn the ladders. So powerful. So much fun. Where can people get in touch with you? They want to reach uh, out, I'm, touch with I'm, you, I'm very, user gems, yeah. all the things. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So find me on, on LinkedIn, Trinity Nguyen at User Gems. Um, find User Gems, usergems.com. Follow our LinkedIn page if you're not ready to buy yet. We have a pretty fun content and company page. So, yeah. Now, you mentioned the idea of checking your database. Is that something that you know, a lot of marketers listening, is that something that, that they can do? They can reach out and... User Gems folks can look because I, I, that sounds fascinating to me. You've got several yeah. thousand, hundred, whatever many you have in your database. Check mm -hmm. to see how many have already moved yeah. on and you don't even know. A hundred percent. How many have moved on and then where are they at now? Like, do they land in your ICP? Do they have the right persona? Basically, all that filters. Um, yeah, we can like basically. Just think of user gems almost like this dynamic database I talked about. We can also look into like, oh, you're doing ABX, you have 1,100 accounts. We'll tell you how many contacts are being missed right now in your Salesforce, aka your sales team, actually not reaching out to all the people that they should. Wow. How do we get that? How it's free. Uh, just reach out to you. Just like send us a demo request and we'll set you up. So, yeah, right. A, yeah. So should we go to the website and do demo requests? Is that the right thing? Because we can link right yeah. to it from the show notes. Here. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. I made the contact page right here. And you, and I see mm -hmm. that, that box we talked about. How did you hear about user gems? And yes, yeah. everyone listening, you know what you're supposed to write. You're supposed to write, <laughs> I heard it on the Hardcore Marketing Show, or just say HCM, you know, to abbreviate. Yeah. Little winky face. Um, yeah. Powerful, powerful. Uh, it would be great for you to start reading some of those things in the comments. But I would love for everyone to check their database out and, and find, remember, this, this stuff is is disappearing underneath your feet. So it would be good to find out. Just understand just where your data sits uh, and then mm -hmm. leverage those, those gems. Amazing. Yeah. Trinity, thank you so much for coming on here, teaching me, laughing with me, sharing all these things. No, thank you so much, Casey. It's really fun. <laughs> I, yeah, this, is, this has been, definitely been a fun one, but one with takeaways. I can't wait to make sure that we have these forms on our site, these fields, and in you, you have a model form here on your site. So even if you're not necessarily going to do a demo, people, you're listening, check out this landing page. It's beautiful, social proof, good headlines, good design, short form, and that field. How did you hear about it? Fill that thing out. Um, well, Casey, you made, you made my head of dimensions day. You're good, good. Well, He's going to be so excited. Well, I'm I told to, you so, Trent. Trying to earn those points, right? We've got to get that one in the Casey column. Uh, so, um, so cool. And uh, yeah, so if you learned something today, share this episode. 
and don't forget to fill out the demo request. I'm going to do it. Join me on that fun party. Maybe we'll have a party. We'll all get a demo together. Um, Trinity, <laughs> thank you again. Thank you. All right, everyone. This has been another episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.